Welcome in to the At The Yard Podcast. Today's episode, we head to Santa Barbara, where UC Santa Barbara assistant coach Donegal Fergus joins me on the show. Fergie, man, appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been a long time. We've known each other a while, and it's just great. I'm looking forward to just catching up with you more than anything, so thanks for doing this. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Les. It's, uh, it's cool to be on with you. Awesome, awesome. So let's jump right in. So you're from, from the great state of Oregon. You played at Linfield College. Uh, yeah. You know, you finished playing there at Linfield, and you go right into coaching, right, uh, there at uh, Lower Columbia Community College. Is that something that you knew throughout your playing days? Like, hey, man, I'm going to coach someday, or is this something that just kind of happened for you? No, it was a total accident, really. I, I, <clears throat> I thought I was going to play in the big leagues and, you know, play forever, and I, I was one of those kids that just – I didn't really understand, you know, um, what that was about. I came from a tiny little town of – 400 people and and uh I, I just didn't know and and i just was so focused on playing and then i sort of realized ah, i'm not that good uh and i gotta figure <laughs> out something else here um i got hurt a bunch too and and i you know i just realized okay i'm i'm a division three player and and uh and and a banged up one at that and um wh- what am i gonna do now and and at first i was uh i was just focused on on some other stuff i you know i have a d- degree in political science that i got there at linfield and um, and my original plan was to go to grad school and, and go into uh, the FBI or CIA or, or some sort of government agency. And, and that was my total plan for, for a long time. Um, and I've told this story before. And, uh, it, it, you know, my, my family, my, my, my parents are two old hippies who, who now live in Costa Rica and moved down there as soon as I graduated from high school. And, um, and my dad at some point came to me, you know, as I was about to graduate and I've been talking about this plan and he goes, Hey, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if you're going to love that idea of going to work for the government. He's like, and frankly, I don't know if they're going to love having you there because my FBI files kind of thick. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I learned some things about my dad and realized, okay, maybe I need to, maybe I need to, to, to take a moment and, and think about what I, I'm really cut out for. And, um, my uncle, uh, Kelly Smith, who's a legendary junior college coach up in the Northwest at Lower Columbia. Um, it's my mom's baby brother. And, and he's really the one that, that, that got me here, um, to be honest with you, because he, he said, hey, um, I started chatting with him and, uh, you know, about coaching. And he's like, well, if you're dumb enough to want to get into coaching, you should come up here and do it with me and I'll take care of you and, and we'll, we'll get you started. And um, so it was sort of an accident, you know, it just some things kind of came up late to push me in that direction. And I lived with my grandma for, for about a year and a half and she was going through some cancer treatment, living alone. And so it was, it was one of those where it sort of stacked up on me and like, I think I need to try this. And, um, I didn't, I didn't know what to, to make of it. You know, I, I didn't know if I'd like it or not. And, um, I just felt like, okay, this is the next step that before I have to, to get a real job or something. And, and, uh, as soon as I started doing it, it was, okay, I, I dig it. And, and, uh, my uncle was incredible and, uh, pushed me really hard and, you know, taught me all the sort of the foundation of, of even stuff that I still do today. So, um, got me started and, uh, and I, you know, I've never had a real job since. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talk about, let's talk about your next job. You spent just a few years there at lower Columbia, four or five seasons. And then, I mean, what at 26, 27, yeah, you're the head coach. Yeah. 26, you get the head coaching job at, at Tacoma Community College. I mean, was that more of, hey, you've earned your stripes, your uncle pushed you out that way, or is it just kind of another opportunity that fell in your lap? Yeah, I, I think it was. We, won, we had won the title in, in 2006, so um, or 2005. So and we had – I think we I think we were second in the in the, uh, in the Northwest in, in players drafted that year of, of any school, uh, wow. Pac-12 or, or junior college. Just sort of a, a you know a culmination of some things. We were really good, and that wasn't me. That was that was my uncle's program that he built, and um, you know we had a bunch of good recruits, and we had a bunch of guys drafted, and we won the title. And I think it was just hey, there's a guy that's that's a part of this program that's really good, and has been sort of the benchmark program. Maybe we can get a little bit of that. I'm sure that was that was part of it uh, in Tacoma's um, thought process. I, I was like a lot of young coaches, dumb uh, and full of myself, and, and thought, 
I'm ready for this. I'm going to reinvent the world and, and uh, I'm going to be the greatest coach ever. And I'm ready for this. Um, someone should give me the, the keys to the car. And um, my uncle was great. Like, he's like, yeah, go do it. Try it. Um, he, he, he was super supportive of, of the process and, uh, you know, rightly so, because he knew he didn't need me to, to keep the thing rolling. And they didn't. They, they kept winning titles after <laughs> I left. Um, but it was, you know, you just sort of, I think you, when you're young, you think that that's what you're supposed to do. Like the next thing is to get a head coaching job, right? Like I'm supposed to do this. And, right. um, and I thought that too. And, and so they, they gave me the job and, and, uh, um, away we went and I screwed a lot of stuff up and learned to learn a ton <laughs> by doing that. And, um, and I just, you know, you think it's the thing you're supposed to do. And, and it was great. It was a great experience. And, um, I, I loved my time there and, and we had some success. We, we finished third in, in the in the Northwest that first year. Uh, went to the playoffs every year. Uh, we, we were there for five years, and it was good. It was it was a good next step, and I think everybody probably needs an experience like that where it's on your shoulders, and, and you got to screw some stuff up to really realize, okay, I, I need to be better in this area, or I need to hire people that complement me better. Um, you know, I, I think you, you don't really understand those things until you go through it, and. Um, you know, hopefully I, I, I didn't screw too many guys up along the way. Most of those players still talk to me, so I think I'm all right. Yeah, it's the old you don't know what you don't know, right, until you go through it. And So Absolutely. after that, you spent spent a couple of years at Seattle U, and then then you go back to Lower Columbia as the head coach. Did you take over for your uncle, or was there a gap? Yeah, yeah. so I, I went to Seattle U. So Donnie Harrell, who's still the head coach at Seattle U, is a really, really dear friend of mine. And, and uh, we had talked before about – teaming up at some point and he had just restarted that Seattle U program after uh, 20 plus years of it being dormant and so it was just one of those things where I, I wanted to work with him I was sort of feeling like again I'm supposed to take another step right I'm supposed to go to the division one level and um, and it was a great experience as well we were not very good but I, I got to learn a lot of that world and um, and worked with a, a really close friend and, and actually several really close friends on that staff and uh, it was just difficult. wasn't making much money. Um, had a couple kids at that point, uh, and, you know, and it was just it was kind of I was driving an hour and a half each way because we were living in Tacoma still and driving to Seattle every day. And it was just it was a grind and and uh, it was tough. Uh, and my uncle was getting ready to retire, and he came to me and said, "Hey, I think you should do this. You come back. Come on, let's go." And I resisted at first. I, I just I felt like I just got out of that league i think i need to be here i need to stay here i need to keep climbing again not really understanding not really get, getting a, a good read on my own my own needs and my own abilities probably as much as anything and um he, he kind of wore me down and kept kept working on me and um i finally decided okay well let me go through the process a little bit and see if they want me uh, if it really makes sense and and if it's really something i want to do it's it's where my, my wife was from, um, so I think that factored in, too, as well. Um, I, I think I was a little worried about getting sucked back into that and then just being, um, you know, just kind of getting stuck there uh, because it is a place. The upside of that place is it's, it's an unbelievable program and still is. Um, it's a great little town for baseball. But I was sort of worried maybe I'd get stuck there or something, you know, and, and uh, I was in that mode of I got to keep climbing, I got to keep doing stuff. Um, and... So I resisted at first, but ultimately, you know, I decided, okay, this is this is something I need to do at this point. Um, and so we said yes, and, and left Seattle U at the end of that uh, that next season, end of the second season, and, and went back there. Uh, it was great. I mean, it's 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 all the things that it still is. It's it's keeps humming along because it's the community supports it so well, and, and the administration as well. And um, so went down there for a year, you know, planning to be there for a while, and obviously that didn't happen. But. Yeah, so you spent after that year. What you get a call from Coach Megs over at UW, and I mean, take us through that process. I mean, again, you know, hey, you have that feeling. I've got to keep climbing. I got to keep climbing. Yeah. So you go from being a head coach at a very successful community college, JC, uh, you know, over to being an assistant coach at, at a D one program where you know you guys had a, a, a number of successes over the course of the years there that you were there but just take us through that process of going from being you know you spent the one year you take over for your uncle very successful program and now let's go to UW where quite honestly I mean they hadn't had a lot of success up until then right yeah it, it was an interesting I, I wasn't looking for it 
it was sort of the first time in my career up to that point that I, I wasn't sort of actively thinking, all right, what, what comes next or what am I supposed to be doing to, to, to climb or, or to rise. And, um, you know, we just got there and, and I get a call from Jason Kelly, who I know you just had on, um, who's, um, you know, uh, one of my best friends. And, and he just called me out of the blue and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in, in coming up here? And, and I said, well, geez, I, I don't know. Should I be? <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. And because it, it wasn't on my radar, I, I thought I'm supposed to be here. Like I, I hadn't even been there a year yet when they called. Uh, <clears throat> but again, it was him and, and his and I's relationship was so good that I, I, again, I thought I want to work with him. We were friends. We think alike. We've, I felt like we could be a really good duo. And I didn't know, I didn't know Lindsay at all. Um, and had talked to him maybe twice ever. Um, but he called and we had a conversation and um, he said, hey, why don't you come up and let's talk about this. And um, So I did and, and, and again, it felt like one of those things where they had not kind of gotten over the hump. They had cleaned some stuff up in the program and you know, gotten it to a place where you know, maybe it was, it was stable but hadn't gotten over the hump winning wise. And, but again, I, you know, I think in this business you, you gotta, you got to roll the dice on yourself sometimes too. And I felt like I can help. I can, I can help, you know, push it forward and, and, and make them better. And so uh, we, we decided to do it and, and, uh, and flip around and head back up North. And, uh, you know, we, we did have some success. We, we, uh, we made the playoffs, uh, three times and, and, uh, obviously went to the college world series in 2018 and, uh, had, had some really good recruiting classes. And, um, you know, again, JK is, is still one of my best friends. We talk all the time. Uh, and so many guys that w we worked together on that on those staffs. Billy Boyer, who's now the infield coordinator for the Tigers. Tanner Swanson, who coaches, you know, is the catching coach for the Yankees. We were all on that staff together. Mike Gangy, the Northwest scout for the for the White Sox. DJ Lidyard, um, uh, you know, <laughs> so many guys that that went through there, and, and we got to work together. And, and I, you know, we we had some success, and we we've all gone on to to, to good things as well. And um, so. Uh, you know, again, another one of those things where you just felt like I need to roll the dice on me and, and go experience this and see, see if I'm, I'm up for it. So obviously, presumably you had some recruiting experience at Lower Columbia, obviously at Tacoma Community. Uh, I'm sure you were involved on some level at Seattle U as well. But it's really at Washington where, I mean, at least on the West Coast, if not nationally, your reputation as a recruiter really came to light. And I mean, what is it about recruiting for you personally um, that that you enjoy so much and, and that's, you know, allowed you to be so highly regarded at? Uh, I, I just think it's it's building relationships with people. I think that's that's what recruiting in its essence is. And I, I know that there's lots of different ways to do it. And, and there's the high pressure guys. There's the, the volume shooters. There's the really selective and patient guys. There's the uh, incredible evaluators. There's the guys with best networks who can sneak guys in before anybody knows. Like there's a million different ways to do recruiting. For me, it's, it's just about getting to know people and, and talking. I think, um, my best success has always just come from, from those, which is build a relationship with a kid, his family, uh, maybe the coach involved or some people around him. And, and, and we, we, we have a vibe and we say, okay, let's, let's do this together. Um, I, you know, again, I, you, you do a you do a lot of things in this business as you come up. You think, oh, I'm supposed to do it this way. Oh, no, I'm supposed to do it this way. Or, or you just you just kind of mimic whoever you're around or whoever you see. And I think ultimately for me, it was about kind of finding who I, who I really was. And I think that's what people would probably say about me now in, in, in terms of coaching or recruiting or both, which is, and, and, and some people don't like it. Like some people are like, I don't know, that guy's full of it or he's a clown or he's whatever is but he's him like that's right. that's really who he is it's, <laughs> it's not an act it's it's not something else and so um i think that and and, and you mentioned the uw period and, and obviously that's you know on a bigger scale and, and getting some national recruits and things like that but jk was great about you know helping me with that too was he, he'd been doing it longer than i had and um he, he's another person that is genuinely himself like you never walk away from an experience with JK not going like, I, that's who that guy is, and I like it. Yeah. Um, and so we, we were able to kind of feed off each other in that way, and it helped me uh, understand, okay, this is really who I am, and this is going to work for the right players. you know. And, and you don't get everybody, but I think, again, finding your niche and finding your lane 
um, be who you are if you're if you're you know sort of a machine and and uh, and you know can can just attack and and uh, and just pile up commitments and figure it out later then I guess that's the way you do it and if you're uh, you know if you're high pressure and, and sales and, and you push 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 uh, do it that way just be who you are and, and uh, that's what I learned about uh, about my process in recruiting is just I'm gonna be me and if you like this cool we, we maybe have something here if not I'll, I'll move on and we'll find somebody who, who who I align with and who aligns with me and, and um, ultimately it's about the players you get um, not not necessarily the players you don't get um, still in that line from TJ Bruce who always talked about that it's just better you know it's more important to get the right guys than, than just to get guys that you think are good uh, and take them from somebody else so get the right players for you yeah. So you, after after the Omaha trip, you spent a year at Santa Barbara, and before taking a position with the Twins as their hitting coordinator, and and I'm, I'm interested because that was kind of a time period where you saw a lot of guys leaving the college game to go to the pro game. You mentioned Tanner earlier. Uh, you know, it was about that time I think when he when he went with the Yankees, and and what was the draw for you? Was it just hey, I got to keep progressing, keep moving up? Uh, is that was that the big draw for you, or was it the opportunity to kind of put your, you know, your 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 fingerprints all over a whole system, or a combination of them? Yeah, probably all of those things. I, I don't know. It, it was it was an interesting challenge that I hadn't done yet. Um, I like I like new things. I like challenges, and and it, I hadn't done that job before, and I I wasn't even sure what it was to be honest with you. And <laughs> even, even when I took it and we started, it was, it was still sort of like, Hey, let's, we'll figure this out together. How we, how we specifically want to do this. It, it, it just nodded at me a little bit. I wasn't looking for it. We had, we'd had a good year in 2019 with Santa Barbara and uh, checks and I both had, had, you know, had some things kind of come up and, and it was, it was nice to be, you know, sort of uh, wooed a little bit and that was fun, but ultimately none of those opportunities were, were enticing enough for, for either of us to, to leave Santa Barbara and, and honestly leave uh, the situation we, we had together. Uh, and then the twin thing just sort of popped up. And I, you know, Tanner Swanson was, was, had been with the organization and had just recently moved over to the Yankees. Billy Boyer was with um, two of my closest friends. And so I think that helped sort of um, make it a little more intriguing because I had heard about, you know, some good things and uh, I had at least a little familiarity with them. But ultimately, it was just one of those things that not. I mean, I got, I, I got to try it. I think I, I need this challenge to see if I'm up for it or good enough for it, or 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 if my skill set will will translate it. And I, you know, usually I think I, I can do those things, but I wanted to, to test it out and um and, and just you know see if I could uh, climb that mountain a little bit, I guess. Um, but ultimately, it was it was it was about that. It was about trying to challenge myself in new ways and. I'm glad I did it. It was, you know, it was a good experience in terms of stretching my abilities and challenging me to think in different ways in college and, and professional baseball. There are obviously lots of similarities with, you know, you're, you're still coaching the game and, and you're trying to get players better, but just the scale of organizations and the number of players trying to deal with in terms of the organization and moving guys up. And um, that was such a different challenge of scale than, than what you're used to in college where you got, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 to 25 hitters to deal with and get them ready each week. And it's just, it's just a different mindset and a different environment um, to then try and scale that out was a really interesting problem. And, and, and things that I've brought back um, to, to Santa Barbara this time, you know, we use a ton of those, those things that I learned like, okay, well, if, if I want to take what I'm good at individually one-on-one -on -one with a player and give everybody pieces of that, how do I do that? Right. Or how do I help other coaches, do that right in their own way um how do we give everybody what they need but keep it individualized but also take care of the team aspect that's a really interesting challenge that i think we all face in the college game um balancing short-term needs and objectives versus the long-term development of players and honestly I, I i don't think we do it well enough at the college level all the time because it, it is easy to fall into the trap of hey we're gonna win today or we're gonna get good practice today we only have four hours because of Kara, and we've got to get you know some butt defenses in, and we got to spend time on defense only today, and we're not going to hit as much as we want to. And there's those real challenges with time constraints, and 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 players are different phases. You know, you got a freshman whose needs are vastly different from an older guy. How do we balance those things on a daily and then yearly basis? Um, it's a fun challenge, but I, I think I think as coaches we need to do a better job of of looking a little bit deeper about how do we how do we get every everybody exactly what they need. 
you know, I'm glad you brought up development because obviously that's something that's near and dear to you. And you hear it a lot, right? You hear it from, you know, parents or players or, you know, even some high school coaches along the way. You know, they send little Ricky goes out to play college ball and he's a pretty good high school player. And he, you know, he doesn't really get any better. And, you know, he either transfers or he fizzles out of the game. And, and you just, I hear it a lot. You know, hey, there's no development in college baseball. Those guys don't develop. They're, they're worried about recruiting, you know, ninth graders or eighth graders. And, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there's challenges with a lot of the things that you just mentioned mentioned but i mean deep down do you think it's something that that is that can be overcome you know for by a coaching staff and then if so is it a matter of you know adding more coaches is it a matter of allowing more time on the field what what in your opinion do you think could be possible solutions to that yeah i i think there's lots of solutions to it i I don't know the perfect solution to the whole problem um because I, I think the challenge that the NCAA runs into, and and I think it's interesting to me how there are times when we have different sets of rules for different sports, right? So basketball has some utterly, completely different uh, parameters dealt with on the recruiting side or, or with workout times or with coaching, uh, you know, a number of coaches that other sports don't have. And, and, and they say, well, you know, those it's just it's a different sport so it requires different things and then other times we all get lumped together in certain certain ways and i think what we what we should understand is each sport has different needs and has different outcomes like we have the draft we have professional baseball ours is a is a trade school in in a lot of ways we are preparing players to try and go into this trade um whereas other sports you know that's not as big of a factor it's not as big of a, a focus for those players and and so you start talking about time constraints and, and we want, we want kids to have, you know, a life as a college kid and, and have a great experience and stuff, but our players want more time too. Like they're begging for more time. They're, they want more time on the field. They want more time in the cage. They want more time with us. Um, and we want to give that to them as well. And, and I think sometimes we, in an effort to make sure that we don't do too much or somebody doesn't go rogue, that we, we, we're too restrictive on players. We're not giving them the best opportunity to really reach their goals. And, um, and that that's frustrating. It's 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 not that we want to run ten hour practices or, or two a days and, and and run guys into the ground. Um, and so we want to give them better coaching. We want to give them more of our time and um, and prepare them better for this life that they're trying to chase. And um, and I, I think we need to examine that through a different lens than than we do right now. Um, I, I am so uh, supportive of NIL and transfer rules I, I really the, the whole transfer thing doesn't bother me i think as as it as as much as it maybe bothers some coaches i think there's certainly times when kids shouldn't transfer they're taking the easy way out sure right but there's also times when kids really need a better opportunity or a different opportunity or that you know it's just not a good fit anymore i, I think players should have power to take care of their own their own careers and and do that like a normal college student was if this is not the place for me i need to go somewhere else and get a different major or learn from somebody else or be in a different social environment i think players should have all of those things and i think we should view it through that lens which is what's best for them um not a blanket you know um approach to to time management for every every athlete uh, in every sport and so i think that's part of it i think coaches we need to do a better job of continuing to grow and learn and think about better ways to coach and be more efficient with our time one of the things we started doing this year was i i taped more of our our instructional stuff uh videoed it and we 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 just give it to the guys like, Hey, I, I don't need to spend an hour at practice time talking to you about this. Watch, you know, you can watch some, some videos on your time, whatever you want. And here's just some on demand sort of video components and, and hitting lessons and, and, and swing demos and things like that. And, and so now we're not going to take as much time away in, in, uh, in the course of our, our allotment each week. We'll just get right to it. We'll just go, we'll go get those reps in. And so I think coaches, we just all need to do a, a better job of continuing to grow and think about different ways and better ways to engage our players and, and to, to balance, like I said earlier, balance the needs of the short term versus the long term of our players. You can do it. It's, there's lots of programs that are really good at it, I think. And um, as much as I'd love it to be a recruiting plug for us, um, there are good programs out there that really focus on development and, and give their players great instruction and get their players better. I certainly think we do that. We, we, we spend a ton of time on it. We talk every day about it, about actual development. Um, and we put our, our money where our mouth is and our time. 
And I just think there's a concerted effort that, that coaches have to make if that's important to them. You know, you can, you can make whatever you want important. Like if, if you want to focus on a certain area, then you will. And, and everybody does that. You make choices in your practice planning. I think we've got to do a better job as, as an industry of, uh, of spending uh, some thought on that process or probably a little bit more. Uh, but it is a huge challenge. And our recruiting calendar, our recruiting rules really put us in a bad spot as coaches. They just do. They, they put people in a bind and make us make choices that we, we don't really want to make. I don't know any coach out there who says, I love the fact that I have to decide between going to a scrimmage of our own players and going and watching a, you know, a, a tournament in Arizona again. I, I, that sucks. And even the most maniacal recruiters out there, um, <laughs> they don't love that. They do it because that's the job that we're faced with. And, and we don't get to take time off from recruiting. And we don't want to. Like I, We understand it's a huge part of our deal. we got to get players. we got to get the right players and better players and all of that. But we're, we're, we're forced into this, this choice of, of coaching our guys on the field and, and, and going and getting players. And, and that's not just in the, in the calendar, but it's also in the rules and the way we can engage with, with players and coaches and parents. Um, and also the number of staff members that are allowed to do that. And I think it's, frankly, I think it's, <laughs> it's almost criminal that the limitations that, that our, our industry puts on young coaches and not allowing them to have opportunities to learn the craft. Um, if you're a young volunteer, how are you supposed to really get the next job if you've never done the thing that gets you the next job? Right? <laughs> right. It's insane to me. Like, it's just insane. Like, you, any other industry, yeah, you, you, you start at the bottom and you work your way up maybe, but you get pieces along the way of the job that you're going to be asked to do, right? right. Oh, hey, let's bring you on and let's, let's, you're going to help with this case and, and you're going to do some background research, which is a part of the job if you're working with a law firm. Or an insurance, you know, hey, we're going to do some prep work with you. and You can kind of learn along the way or you can at least observe it. And we just don't give our volunteers and our young coaches enough opportunities to do that, let alone the fact that we, we, we've taken away the graduate assistant, the student assistant options because, oh, you got to go to that school that you played at to be, a, to be an undergrad assistant. Or you have to be enrolled at the, the same school for the graduate program. So it, it just it really limits young guys' opportunities to get in and, and prove themselves and just learn. And, and it puts the burden on the full-time assistants and head coaches that go out and recruit to do all of it, plus lead the way on the coaching on the field. And then, you know, we're forced with his, these choices that we don't want to make. So I think, I think major, major reform has to happen if we're really going to do this the right way. Um, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if we all have the willpower or not to do it, honestly, sometimes. Um, there's a lot of, I think, a lot of my colleagues – the status quo is favorable to them. And so it's hard. And I get it. Like you've got it rolling. And, and why would you want change? This is working for you. Even if you don't love, love it in a vacuum, it's working for you. And, and, and you are in a position where now you can kind of keep some distance between you and the rest. And so I get it. But in the NCAA, as usual, is pretty, pretty weak on this stuff. They're, they're, Hands off, right? Yeah, <laughs> you guys, like, you guys figure it out. Right. And, and it's selective enforcement. It's selective involvement and 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 then it sometimes feels really arbitrary and capricious and, and what like are we really making rules that benefit the players and the coaches no i don't think we are i think we're always responding to something that somebody did uh you know incorrectly or poorly or 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 did break the rules or break the spirit of the rule and but we're playing defense all the time on it. instead of saying hey let's take a minute and actually craft uh, a system that works for everybody nobody is doing that it's all reactive and it's like what we would really like is this but there's no way we'll go from where we are now to that it's too far of a of a of a, of a gap so let's just see if we can get somewhere in between but that's again that's a, putting a band-aid on the problem as right. opposed to actually fixing it so i don't know we need we need better leadership at the top um we need more consensus among coaches um to to have you know have the will to do what what's best for for us and players, and, and I'm not always convinced that, that, that we, we, as a collective, have the power to do that. I think the vagary of what you just said, the, the spirit of the rule, right? I mean, there's no clear definition with that, right? I mean, you hear, okay, you, you hear they violated the spirit of the rule. Well, what exactly does that mean, right? I just think the vagueness of the rules just yeah. allows for 
kind of this organized chaos to go on, right? And then you have everything that you touched on that 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 just doesn't allow for uh, you, you know a consensus, right? Okay, it's it's very black and white right now. There's so much vagueness with everything that it's just so difficult to move forward and progress the sport that has a ton of momentum right now, right? Yeah. I mean, college baseball is as hot as it's ever been, right? I mean, I remember growing up, you got the College World Series on the Saturday, you got the championship game, and you know then you you were lucky enough to maybe get a couple games uh, of the College World Series on ESPN, but then you know now I mean with so many programs streaming or, you know, the cable networks that are on board now with college baseball, it seems like right now is the time to strike while the iron is as hot as it's ever been. No question. I, we, we are, we are in prime territory to really make major change and to really grow the game. Kids. I, I've said this for years, but what you just said is, has never been more true, which is <clears throat> The college game is accessible to young kids in a way that professional baseball is not. Now, every kid loves to look at Otani and Trout and Tatis, and those guys are exciting. And, and I, you know, that's a whole other discussion is Major League Baseball <laughs> um, doing what they need to do. Um, but the college game is accessible to kids because a, a young kid can go to one of our games or go to a UCLA game or, or go to a USC game and they can actually get right with those players. They, they can see themselves in that world. That's a kid that I could turn out to be if I'm, a, if I'm an 11-year-old kid. Professional baseball, we want kids to dream about that, but it, it does seem a little bit farther away. It does seem a little bit more of a separation. You can go right up to a fence at a college game and, and get a signature or get a high five or, or just feel like oh, I could do that myself. And I think we have an unbelievable opportunity to grow the game by bringing more kids in and families and making it uh, an accessible vehicle for kids to watch and see it. It's a great game to watch on TV too. And if you see both um, NCAA softball and baseball on, on ESPN and all the other networks that are carrying it, it's, it, it works. It's a right. great visual uh, on TV. It, it's fun. There's pace to it. Um, it's exciting. And yeah, it's, it's sloppier than professional baseball. It's not quite as, neat and tidy but that's also part of the charm i think sometimes it's like these are real these kids are, are not professionals yet and they're working towards it and it's high level but still they're kids and, and i think i think that's accessible for a lot of people and i think we need to we need to attack that and and I, we need to grow it in that way and again it's about willpower to say hey what do we need to do to make sure that it's more open to kids the scholarship thing is a huge part of that too is it is not available to to a certain demographic at a, at a at a major in a major way, if you don't have money, it's hard to go play college baseball because there's not enough scholarship money to go around. Right? Baseball in general needs to do a better job with lower income opportunities and and underserved populations. We need to get in there and help those help grow the game in that way as well and make it more accessible to people. Eleven point seven for our roster is just not conducive to to enough players being helped to go to college and, and use it as a vehicle um, to get kids, uh, you know, to get out of their situations or grow or achieve or, or, or go to the school that they really want or that can help them, um, you know, go somewhere. And I think yeah. that we've got to look at it from that perspective as well. You know, you, you, I want to go back to something you touched on a, a little bit ago, which was the, the on-demand video and kind of the use of technology. I mean, UC Santa Barbara is somewhat at the forefront, right? At least on the West Coast when it comes to the use of like data and analytics and, and things of that nature. And I know it's something that's very near and dear to Andrew's heart and um, yeah. something that he drives. And I mean, you've had guys that director of analytics that have gone on to work yeah. for big league clubs. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's really fascinating to me, you know, from my position, because we use a lot of that same data and not a lot of that same analytics. And I'm curious, you know, from, from your perspective, how is that beginning to infiltrate the college game? And, and you know, Again, I go back to your passion for development. How are you personally implementing that sort of stuff into your development of players? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think college, the college game, by its nature, forces innovation and forces creativity because you don't have as much. Right, we, most programs don't have the resources to have a full analytics, you know, full paid staff of analytics folks or. Or, or, uh, or even a technology suite that you would you would ultimately like, or, or 
just for resources and manpower to get what you want. So it forces you into, all right, let's be smart about how we do this, or let's be more efficient, or let's figure out a better system for this. So I, I think often the college game is on the forefront of testing those ideas out and those those new those new ways of, of exploring development, but then gets stalled out because of lack of funding and resources, right? So we might have this great idea, but we can't test it out, or we don't have the runway to do it, or the or the manpower, or the bandwidth. That's where professional baseball then comes in usually and says, hey, this is a good idea. And you see it in the last few years that the influx of college guys into the program yeah. is, hey, these guys have had to been, you know, had to have been creative and figure these things out. They've got some they've got some new ways of thinking. Let's pull some of these in and, and then give them the resources to then maybe go down these rabbit holes that we couldn't that they couldn't in their in their old old spots in college. And I think that's that's the beauty of the balance is the professional game has more resources and you have more manpower and money to throw at a problem mm-hmm. and, and go farther. And then, and then it comes back to college more as a finished product when the, when the tech and the, and the industry sort of catch up with, with, uh, with tools that are accessible at that point. Um, we've always tried, and Andrew is, 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 is an incredible leader in this way is he's, I mean, he, there's nobody I've ever met more willing to try a better way than Andrew. Um, he's, incredibly curious he's brilliant and he's always trying to find an edge and that has led him to say hey we're, we're always going to explore a new and better way to do this we're going to try and find a way to find an edge for each player we're going to we know we're not always going to get the the even close to finished product as on the recruiting side right we're going to get get really good players but there's something that they have to develop right we have that's our job is to help get them out of there and that he's he's just incredible at that on the pitching side on the hitting side we're just trying to keep up with him right and and hitting is so much different on on the technology side than the pitching is pitching if hey if you get your spin rate to this and you can get your ball to do this you've got a pretty good chance of success and hitting we're responding to that and so we're, we're we're it's a different set of problems but we use the same principle which is let's measure let's track let's assess let's evaluate and then let's implement a development plan according to that my thing with technology is always this if i don't have a if i don't have something i can do with it it's not worth my time or money right now like if i don't have a plan of action like you can give me information you can give me data you can tell me what's happening but if i don't have an avenue to do something about that i can't spend my time on it right i need yeah. i need an action piece for it so just putting everybody on a KBS or a blast motion sensor or uh, or, or having them hit off hit tracks every day or track man and tracking ball fly. Like, that stuff's great. And it's super valuable, but just doing it isn't enough. We have to do something with it, right? And so what we look at it is, is an individual solution problem. Those things are all part of our toolbox. And then we pull out those parts as needed based on what the individual player needs. So if I've got a freshman who needs to make some pretty major mechanical changes, then yeah, we're going to use... KVS to check his sequence, right? We're going to use Blast to check his barrel path. We're going to use TrackMan to track his exit velocity and launch angle progress, right? Not necessarily telling him what to do with that, but we're going to see if we're making progress in the development plan. But an older guy, you know, uh, Jason Willow, who's a fifth-year senior now, we're not making major mechanical changes. We're talking approach with him. So we're using Synergy, and we're using TrackMan data from the past to look more into approach planning and, and swing decision training than mechanical stuff. So putting him on KVEST doesn't really do much for him at this point, right? We might check in every now and then if he gets off track a little bit, but our focus is somewhere else. So it's a different piece of technology that we need for him. So I think it's the fun part of college. And we did this with Pro, in Pro Bowl 2 with the Twins is, you know, what does this guy need? Where is he at in his development cycle? Uh, but it's just heightened that much more in, in college baseball because we have them every single day and we need to get um, a plan of action for them. So everybody gets a development plan. And we're gonna we're gonna follow that as closely as you can, and just pull out the tools uh, as we need them. For you personally, I mean, obviously you're a really bright guy. I mean, for you personally, what has the the learning curve been like? Right, understanding what the KVAS data, blast data, TrackMan hit tracks, what all these uh, analytic pieces or data providing pieces are giving you. What's that learning curve been like for you personally? Uh, it's super steep, and and I'm always trying trying to learn something else. I think. You have to just have the approach of, I, if I don't know, then that's okay. Like, I just need to learn it. Like, I don't care, I, I, you know, and I think people get a reputation, oh, oh he's a he's a tech guy, you know, tech mm-hmm. hitting coach, or he's a new school. Or like, 
all those things. I don't even, I, I just don't understand why we, <clears throat> we even bother labeling that. <clears throat> what I want to be known as is a coach who's not afraid to learn something new. And I tell my players all the time, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't always know the answer to this. Right. And that's what we have this stuff for. That's why we have our analytics team. That's why I call coaches who are smarter than me about this, that, or the other thing. It's, hey, I, if I don't know something, I want to find an answer to it. And I want players to do the same thing. If you don't know how to do something, I want your brain to immediately go, well, now I want to. I want to learn how to do it. Um, So the learning curve is steep. I I am not, and I've said this a million times, anytime I'm asked, like, I'm not an expert on KVEST or Blast or TrackMan or or data or tech in general. Like, I'm not an expert. There's so many coaches that are incredibly uh, bright and and grew up in in that environment, in that world of uh, you know of, of learning those things as, as direct parts of their of their toolkit i didn't I, I you know i my i think my skill is is connection with players and instilling confidence and and finding what their particular needs are and tech is a part of that and data is a part of that but i rely on people that are way smarter and, and way more uh in tune with that including our own our own analytics guys i'm like there are lots of times i did it just the other day i said hey you know, I got approached by a company that, that, that had a piece of, of software that was interesting. And I'm like, I don't know what it does. And I don't know how to use it. Stu, uh, go. <laughs> yeah. Get on this rabbit hole. Figure it out and let me know. Is this something that I need to jump into? Is this something that makes us better? Get a little info and then let's figure that out. But um, I, I don't pretend to have all the answers. And, and I think if you do, you're you're just going to get passed um, by, by the rapid change in technology anyway. So, um Use the things that, that make your players better, whatever that is. And there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, but I think that, you know, the ability to say, hey, I need to find some answers is, is the key to it all. Yeah, I think with the constant evolution of all the data pieces and, and everything that keeps getting introduced, I mean, like you said, if, if, if you say you're an expert, I think, you know, A, you're lying to yourself and B, you probably don't really know all that much because yeah. it's just, it changes every day, essentially. Right. But for you, yeah, I want to shift gears a little bit. Right. Obviously, you know, the cancellation or the loss of last season due to covid, uh, you know, cost a lot of kids opportunities, cost, you know, high school kids opportunities, some college kids. Um, you know, a lot of people say, hey, the Juco, the Juco game, particularly in California, is going to be just outstanding now, right? Because a lot of those kids uh, either bounced back there or went there directly who right. otherwise wouldn't have. And, you know, I'm curious as a guy who spent some time coaching in the junior college ranks, you know, a number of years like you did, you know, what's your take on junior college baseball? You know, how it goes about developing players, the significance of kind of the attitude of those guys coming out of there and just your overall take on, on junior college baseball and the quality of it particularly in California. Yeah, I, I love junior college baseball. I really do. I have, obviously have a soft spot having coached at that level for a long time. And um, I, I know what those kids go through. They, it is not glamorous. It is not full of resources and um, big stadiums and, and adoring fans and um, great meal plans and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it's not. You have to love baseball and you have to love the process of getting better. You have to be driven to, to get – where you want to go ultimately. And, and it, it does weed out those kids who aren't built that way. Um, and the, the, the level is only going to go up because of the roster crunch, as you mentioned with COVID that has created. Um, we love junior college guys at our place. Um, I think the evaluation part for us often is, is a little bit more uh, clear because there's a track record that you can at least see at a competition level that is, is pretty consistent. Um, sometimes it's hard to evaluate a high school guy's numbers or, or just his production pass because you're like, ah, oh, that league, is that league that good anymore? I'm not sure what kind of competition. He only played a little bit of that varsity season. So we're not really sure what the runway is. A junior college kid, you know, like you know what kind of player you're probably getting because there's, there's a level of competition that they've had to, to, to face to stay there and succeed. So uh, there's also – I, I don't know if it's a chip on the shoulder, but it's certainly an understanding that I'm going to be appreciative of, of an opportunity. Um, and that's not to say that high school kids aren't appreciative of opportunities all the time, but I think it's just harder when you don't have that context. You know, if you, if you come from a really good high school program and, and a great travel ball program and you've been, 
you've been told your entire baseball career so far how good you are and um, I, I think it's it's hard not to fall into that you're 17 18 years old and, and you think I just it should just be sort of easy um, and it's not and and I think that junior college guys really get that and, and they're driven to, to succeed and pass somebody else um, I think that there are some amazing junior college coaches as well and I think it it, it attracts a certain type of guy um, to, to coach at that level um, and again I go back to the creativity I think everyone should coach at the junior college level at some point in their career when they first start out because it forces you to do everything you got to be the fundraiser the groundskeeper the the defensive coordinator the offensive coordinator <laughs> um, you got to do all of those things for yourself um, and find people who are willing to, to try and learn them as well because you don't have the money to hire a full staff you you you, you really have to be creative and, and I think that um, coaches who coach that level are some of the best around, and um, so you also feel like as a as a Division One coach, I can go to that person and go, I'm going to get an honest evaluation. I'm going to get a I'm going to get a, some real feedback here uh, because this person uh, thinks about the game maybe in, in a similar way to me. Yeah, so you've obviously been around the game for your entire life, but the last twenty two, three, four years specifically as a as a player at the D3 level, a coach at the JUCO level, uh, you know, a coach at the D1 level, even a coach in the pro level, uh, you've seen a lot of change when it comes to recruiting in college baseball. And, and I'm curious on your opinion as it comes to this kind of quest of, hey, it's D1 or bust, uh, you know, the, this this almost insatiable pursuit of a college scholarship and you touched on it right I mean there's only 11.7 at the d1 level and those numbers go down as the levels go go down and is it something that you know we're seeing a lot of kids younger and younger specializing in in the sport right they're kind of throwing all their eggs in one basket is it that's something that you, you're a parent. I mean, I'm a parent, right? I mean, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Your kids are a little older than mine, I think. And, and you know, is that something that that you see as, you know, is it a healthy solution? I mean, is it something that that, that you would advise? Uh, I'm, I'm just just your kind of your general take on this pursuit of a scholarship. Yeah, uh, I would love to. I would love a scenario in which the financial piece wasn't such a burden for people to go to school, go to school and go to, go to the college that they really want to. I, I wish that wasn't the case. It's unfortunately it is like mm-hmm. money is a huge factor in where kids go to school, both athletes and non-athletes, right. you know, college tuition has skyrocketed even from, even from when I went to school and, and certainly, um, you know, generations past that, like, the money is a huge factor, and that sucks for a lot of people. What I think it does become is, yeah, we're chasing that, and it becomes too big of a decision maker in in that process for the family. And the D1 thing plays into that, both in money but also in status, right? And we're, we're, we're consumed with this ranking system. We're consumed with, well, what's U.S. News and World Report say about the best liberal arts colleges or the best p- public schools and those sort of things? And, and you know, of course – coaching at, at one of the top public universities in the country, I certainly talk about that. Yeah. But, but what determines that? What, what, is, what makes our school better academically or a better fit for, for a student than, than a school in the Midwest? Like I, you know, there are measurable things, and we have to, we have to come up with a, a system, some way to rank those things, I guess. But ultimately what people should be deciding on is what, what's, going to, what's going to get me where I want to go? if I'm a player who's not ready to play at UC Santa Barbara when I come in and I'm going to get sort of caught up in the wash maybe because I'm not ready to do that, it doesn't make any sense to say, I just, but it's just where I want to be and I'm okay if it doesn't work there. Like that's a different decision than saying, I think I, I want to play for a long time. I want to, I want to go as far as I can with baseball. I need to go somewhere where I have an opportunity. My needs align with what that coaching staff is good at developing and the school environment is going to be conducive to my social needs and my personality and and so many other factors that go into that financial status is, is obviously part of that. I, I just think that's that's the wrong formula to really do this. If you're really if you if you said, Hey, I wanna go I wanna be a doctor, then you have a more specific set of, of things that you might you might look at, right? I, I need to go to a place that's going to best prepare me to be the best doctor I can be. And I don't think we always do that in baseball. I don't think we always look at it, though. I think we talk about it, 
but we don't actually do it as, as recruiters and, and, and recruits being uh, going through that process. So I, I wish that I wish that more people just said, hey, I, what, what kind of experience am I looking for? Do I really have a chance to get to the big leagues? Is that really my goal? Then I need to go to a place that's actually going to give me a chance to develop into that. If I am a good player and I want to play for as long as I can, I want to have a great college baseball experience, then a lot of Division One schools are probably not going to be the best fit for you. There's going to be some great Division Two, Three, uh, NAI schools. There's a million schools. If you want to play college baseball and have that experience, you can do that for sure. Um, I, I think expanding your scope of of what what do you really need at this point in your life and and what am I really trying to do with this experience needs to be a bigger part of it than the dollars and cents of it all because we can't give everybody what they deserve or what they need and what we would want to even um, and that. That's, that's an impediment to, to people ending up at the right place. And, and we refer, I referenced the transfer portal earlier, but it's a huge part of why that is so chock full of players is because there's not enough done on the front end to end up at the right place initially. Um, we, we all choose. We offer for the wrong reasons sometimes. We certainly choose for the wrong reasons sometimes. And that muddies the water instead of people ending up at the place that this is really the right right fit. I hear that word all the time. Well, I'm just trying to find the right fit. Well, if you can't define what fit really is, then, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. um, and same thing for us. Like I, if I tell you I'm looking for the right player for this spot, this roster spot or this scholarship, I should be able to explain that to you. Like, well, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this, 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 and this, look for toughness and determination and the right mindset and the ability to pay for school and, and, you know, a certain skill set. Like I, I should be able to define that. And, and I think families would be wise to do that on their end as well. And just be clear about it. Like if you just tell me, Hey, I don't want to go to Santa Barbara because um, we need a smaller school. Like it, we're just, there's two, there's almost 30,000 students and it's, it's too wild. You know, there's the, the party scene or, or the, the temptations are too great. That's not going to work for him. Okay. That's, huh. that's cool. I, I get it. You're, you're helping me make a better decision. You're making a better decision. If that's the case, that's okay. Um, but I, I think we often don't really, we're not really honest about those, those factors. Do you think that it's a greater challenge for parents and players and families in general because of these, this trend we're seeing with recruiting getting younger and younger? I mean, we're seeing in some cases 14-year-old kids making a college commitment who are in eighth grade. I mean, I don't know what you were doing in eighth grade, but in eighth grade I certainly wasn't thinking about where I'm going to college. And so I, I, do you think, again, in your opinion, that, that is, the difficulty of that is compounded because of the, the way and the direction recruiting has gone? Absolutely. I, I mean, when I was in eighth grade, I was four foot nine and <laughs> 87 pounds. Um, I had no idea. I didn't even know what I, I, I couldn't tell you who was good in college baseball um, at all. Like, I just didn't know anything. Oh. Um, and, and I think we're forcing kids into those sort of things. I, I, and I'm not the only coach that would say this, if they're being honest. Like, I talked to so many kids who are freshmen or sophomore or junior. And, and I go, hey, well, you know, what do you know about our place? And they're like, I, I don't, I don't know you're in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, okay. So what do you know about college baseball in general? Like, do you watch it much? Do you follow it? Uh, who, you know, what do you know about the West coast and, and the PAC 12 and the big West? And they're like, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really watch it. Right. Or I don't really know enough about it. So we're asking kids who self-admitted don't really know about the schools that they're being recruited by. How do we, how is it a good idea to, to force anybody into that decision process? And parents say the same thing, like, oh, we're just we're trying to figure this all out. It's all new to us. Yeah, of course it is. We need more time to go through this process. I need more time to get to know you. You need more time to get to know us. And, and by us, I mean all the coaches that are talking to you. And we don't let people do that. We just don't because we're forcing this action. And, and you know, it's partly our fault. It's partly the system's fault. But we just keep pushing, pushing, pushing to try and beat our competitors. And I'm going to get them first. And then we'll figure it out later. It's not conducive to good decision making. Right. And if you and you know the fact that you can't visit a school until your junior year, and yet so many decisions are made before that point, that's insane. I mean, that's literally insane that right. that's the way we're set up. And again, I don't have the perfect solution to all this, but I think we have to look inside and go, listen, let's actually build a system that makes sense. Like if if we can talk to kids, but only when they call us but they can't come visit a school. Like, well, there's no decision to be made there. We're not ready. Nobody's ready yet, you know? And 
we need to, we need to, to be smart about when we start that process of getting to know people and we need to give people some some runway to make better decisions and families feel the pinch of it you know it's one thing yeah. if you're you know you're throwing 95 at, at 14 years old and you've got a, a hammer secondary pitch and you're six foot five and like okay I, maybe you're ready to go to florida i get it it's fine but what about all those other families that are then saying well johnny committed and i see him yeah. billy's getting talked to by six schools and he's already close to making a decision he's narrowed it down to his top two like are we late? Are we screwing this up for our children because we're not already committed or we haven't made this decision yet? I, you know, I try and tell people like, no, you're fine. Don't, don't calm down. You're good. Don't let other people's timelines screw you up. Go the, go the pace that you need to go on, but it's hard. Like that's, that's just words for me. And it doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't make them feel any better. Like parents and, and kids are the same. Like they're human beings. They're getting caught up in this wash of we got to go. We got to go. And, uh, and as recruiters, we're all falling into that trap as well. Yeah, I think that I think the panic that sets in, like you said, on other people's based on other people's timeline is, you know, obviously one of the biggest things that that you see. Another thing you talked about, you know, looking under the hood there a little bit. And I think the NCAA did that a, a bit with the, allowing the NIL. Right. And you touched on it earlier. And my take is that it's going to influence the game in a positive way because i mean just my conversations that i have with some guys that are potential draft guys that you know might have a commitment to a school that that is already working for them you know in terms of nil i'm curious to get your your take on it and how you think nil is going to you know either positively or negatively impact the college game Uh, yeah power to the people like that's how i i always the lens i view it even if even if schools take advantage of it, even if boosters take advantage, like they're already doing that. Those things are already happening. <laughs> We're naive to say, well, now we've opened it. Now it's going to be pay for play. Like, sure. People are going to break whatever rules you put in place. Like people are always going to take advantage of the system. So it doesn't make any sense to me is to further punish players by, by taking away something that if they were a general student or just any other human being they would they would have access to that's insane to me um we're punishing them for something that that bad actors are going to do anyway whatever the rules are they're going to take advantage of it i just don't think you can govern that way i think that's 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 a silly way to look at um people's rights and people's abilities to to grow and and to you know to have the freedom to to make choices and and yeah does it does it advantage the, the larger schools and larger metropolitan areas sure there's no question about it right but i'll always come back to if it benefits the players then we should do it the same thing in the transfer portal to me like yeah are we are we at risk of losing a player every now and then or are are a lot of smaller schools that have a player who who goes into something and decides hey i want to play in the sec or something are are they at risk yeah they are but if it's if it empowers more players then that's what we should err on the side of right not left because somebody takes advantage of it or somebody uh, bends it to their will. We just can't. We can't. Uh, we can't put that back on the players. And so I'll always err on the side of if, if it's uh, if it's a positive influence on our players, then we should we should do it. Now we should also work to make sure we create a framework that that they can do it intelligently and and not get taken advantage of. And that's what we're trying to do as much as anything is just in, in, just give them the tools to make good decisions about NILs or transfer options and things like that. And I think that's if we're really thinking of ourselves as, as teachers and educators in that sense, our job is just to inform them and educate them on the process and, and how to make good decisions. I think it's a great learning experience in life too. Of what, what arrangement should I get into? Who should I align myself with? How do I handle, okay, I'm making a little money. What should I do with that? How should I handle that? How do I, how do I balance my time? Oh, this, this company is asking me to do a plug for them or, do a do a, an advertisement like is that a smart idea does it take time away from something else like i think those are great lessons in, in life so i'm all for it i think we need to do it responsibly and intelligently but um i, I i'd be the last person that would ever say hey um you don't you can't leverage your 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 status or your 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 talents as an individual you can't use that to your benefit that's insane so. yeah, yeah i think it goes to to your point earlier right that you are a trade school essentially right you're you're developing these players 
for what's coming down the line. And ultimately, if you make it to Pro Bowl, you're going to have these conversations at some point or another, right, with somebody trying to pay you for your services or as a representative of their company, man. But Donegal, man, again, I can't thank you enough for hopping on the podcast and doing this with me today. It was awesome to catch up with you. Uh, it's awesome to have you back in the college game. I mean, selfishly, I miss our conversations on the <laughs> yeah. recruiting trail. So, uh, you know, I just, again, I can't thank you enough for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Les, and uh, I appreciate all that you do. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to have more of those conversations for sure. Awesome, man. Uh, we'll be in touch real soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. I'd like to thank Donegal Fergus of UC Santa Barbara for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news, rankings, and event information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.